morning. The shears are with me this morning. <laughs> yes. Good morning, everyone. Let's stand and sing our praises to God together.
Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus. We pray that you will make our hearts ready for you to come on that day, to come into our, our lives and all that we are this day. Be glorified in our worship today, Father, because it is worship that is directed to you brings glory to you and opens us to be changed by you. We ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Before you're seated, share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. We do want to welcome you uh, to our worship service today, and if you are a guest with us, uh, we want to ask you to take a moment, fill out, there's a form in the pew rack in front of you, uh, you can fill that out, drop in the offering plate in a few moments, or if you're not ready, just leave it in the pew uh, as you leave. Also, those forms can be used if you want to communicate something with the staff, if there's something that uh, you'd like for us to pray about, or you want to be involved, know more about some of the ministries, you can use that as well. Uh, one of the uh, joys that we've had uh, this beginning of this fall has been the addition of Austin Kewen to our staff. He is serving for these next two years as a pastoral ministry resident, uh, working part-time here and part-time at the college. And I've asked him just to share a few moments this morning it's about his journey, uh, maybe a little bit about uh, just uh, his, his involvement here. But uh, i give you an opportunity to get to know a little bit about him. Hey, Good morning. Uh, as, as Pastor West said, my name is Austin. Um, I was a 2015 graduate from undergrad and then stuck around for two more years and did my music master's here and spent a year away down in Lancaster working with Hope International. Um, it's a nonprofit down in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and then now I'm back. Um, so acquainted with many of you here in the Houghton community um, and just, yeah, very Excited and also um, anticipatory of um, just being called back here and uh, working uh, here with the church. Uh, I think one thing that's really been on my heart, I've shared with a couple people, if you were at the potluck, um, you know, I've just been asking myself, what, what do students need? Um, and really taking these first, you know, this first month or so, um, really being in prayer about that, meeting with people. Um, and I see students, for the most part, you know, they have, you know, there's chapels, they're being challenged in different ways, there's worship nights, there's Bible studies. Um, and, you know, it was tempting to say, okay, we just need to make more Bible studies. You know, if, what do you need to do if you're in ministry? Then make more programs. Um, and, but the biggest sense that I've, that I've heard from students is just this, this cry, really, for, for space. Um, they're just pulled in a million directions. Um, and so, you know, reading the Psalms, you see the word Selah. Um, 
and in some translations it's called interlude. Um, but it's there as a pause. And a lot of times, I, you know, I was looking, even this morning, at what does, what does Salah come after? And, and many times it comes after a declaration of who God is, uh, or it comes after a prayer. Um, a lot of times it comes after something really emotionally weighty that the psalmist is writing. Um, but it's there intentionally as a place of space to really breathe and take in the gravity and the weight of what's been prayed or what's been said, um, and they continue on. Um, and just really seeing a need for Selah in our students um, is just is a need. There's so much that they're learning, and yet so often they feel whisked away. They've, they've heard this great thing in chapel, and now they've got to go get lunch in two minutes and go get to class, um, or else they won't eat. Um, and so just something that's been on my heart that I would like to invite all of you guys into um, is as these students come, you know, they are, they are a part of the body of Christ, and they are part of the church at large, and many of you um, are students here. We're so glad that you're here, um, especially that you're here at 8.20 in the morning. Um, you guys get the special golden badge of honor. Um, but yeah, just, and I w- just want to challenge each of us um, to ask, you know, how can we be agents of Selah? How can we be agents that draw people and students into, into those places of rest um, intentionally? Um, and I think that's an important part of what we can offer as a church body here um, for those of us who have been through the college journey, we know that the, the time doesn't lend itself always to we'll take some time and breathe a little bit and, you know, reflect. And yet that's so necessary. If any, if any time in life, I feel like that's such an important part um, of life and need of life and the life of college students. Um, and we provide a really unique opportunity to, to bring them in as a part of our body, the body of Christ that we're a part of. Um, and so I just challenge you to to think about maybe the students that you know or even in your daily interactions to say, how can I be a source of this space where they can breathe in, uh, where they can voice their prayers, where um, we can reflect on the goodness of God, um, where something really weighty that we're, that we're wrestling through. There's a lot of things that, that we're all wrestling through. Um, there's a lot of deep questions, um, and especially, you know, in, in, in all stages of life, um, but it, it doesn't really go away. But yet to have that time to wrestle together um, and to be present, I think, is, is such a unique and important ministry that each of us has in our own way. Um, so that's kind of really what's been on my heart with that, but I, uh, I'm excited to continue moving forward and to see what God is, is doing and what God plans to do. Um, if anyone has any questions or would like to be a little bit more intentionally involved in that, feel free to contact myself or Paul Shea. Um, we're both working with students. Uh, we'd love to connect with you and work with you more closely. Thanks. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings. Take 
Father, we thank you that you are never failing. We count on that promise, that truth that is the foundation of all that we are and how we live our lives and what we believe and what we do. And we come today to declare that we believe you are the unfailing God. Father, we thank you for your greatness, for your goodness and your glory revealed in this world and in us. We thank you that you call us to come to you and to build relationship with you through prayer. And even as we exalt you and worship you, we also come and lay before you the burdens of our hearts, of our lives, of our world. We pray today for all who are grieving. We pray for the family of Rick Long, who was a pastor in Olean Wesleyan Church for a long time and died yesterday of a battle of cancer. We pray, Father, that your grace and your healing power would be at work in his family in their grief and loss. We pray for all who are struggling with illness, with disease, with pain. Lord, we thank you for your healing grace upon Bethy Lydic and Phil Maine, Dan Gurley and Florence Tuber, Rosalind Danner, Isabella Doherty, Gus and Louise Princell, Nancy Cole, Peter Lingenfelter, Doris Esepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Bill Getty, Mike Raybuck, Beverett, Emily Cricklar, others who may be on our minds today. Bring your healing grace to each of them. We pray, Father, that you will give peace to all who are in distress, who are weary and burdened, who are anxious and overwhelmed. For those who are facing the difficulties of living in this fallen world, may they know your present grace in each moment. Father, we pray for uh, the ministries of not only our church, but the churches around us. Today we pray for the First Day Baptist Church in Richburg and Pastor Larry Allen. May your grace and mercy be upon them as they worship you and serve you and serve their community and beyond. Father, we pray today for, uh, for our world. We pray, Father, for the work of your kingdom in this nation and in nations all around the world. We think today of... Resurgence City Church, a new Wesleyan church, having their first public service today in downtown Buffalo. May your grace be upon them as they, as they reach out to the communities there. We think, Father, of, of, of our nation. We have watched the scenes unfold this week in Washington. And we grieve for all who feel most keenly the pain that we've heard about and witnessed. We pray, Father, that you will make us and our nation full of compassion and of wisdom. We also pray, Father, for 
a newfound civility among our leaders who might inspire civility in our nation. And let us be at the forefront of that kind of mindset and spirit. Father, we continue to pray for your church around the world. We pray, for, Lord, for, for the, uh, the work of, in Southeast Asia as the, the church there has just received the DACA New Testament. We pray for your word that it would bear much fruit. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Nepal, a land where there has been a spiritual awakening and yet there is still so much suffering and pain. We ask, Father, that you would raise up a new generation of leaders. You would help this nation that has faced so many natural disasters. Father, we pray for other nations of the world who are dealing with natural disasters, even as we pray for our own nation dealing with it. We think of the tsunami in Indonesia this week. Our hearts break for the loss of life and the damage and and so many people who are left with so little. We ask that you will make your presence known. Father, we thank you that you are always more ready to hear than we are to pray. We thank you that you are always more gracious than we could ever deserve. We ask for your power and your grace to be revealed, not only on us, but on this whole world. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, who in loving kindness teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning's scripture reading is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 7 through 14. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained in Gilgad, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. 
This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, receive it, amen. Stand and join us as we sing, and children may be dismissed for Children's Church.
Please be seated. Does it ever feel to you as if your prayers don't accomplish anything? Do you ever ask yourself the question, what is this for? What, what, is, what is this really doing? What is this really accomplishing? What's the point? I don't know about you, but I've asked myself that question many times. Lord, I don't understand why nothing seems to be happening when I pray. Lord, I don't understand why it feels like my prayers are accomplishing little, if anything. I think if you pray long enough, at some point in time, those questions, those thoughts, those uncertainties come to our minds. I've been thinking through that a lot as we've been thinking, as this fall we're thinking about prayer and as we move in toward the prayer vigil. And and it is a wonderful thing to hear people say, God answered my prayer. It is a difficult thing to think, I wish God would answer mine. And as I pondered that, this story from 1 Samuel 13 came to my mind. This is a story, we didn't give all the background, it's kind of, you know, the, a lot of the books, the historical books have, you know, a lot of context and, and things to them. So we didn't read all of that, but this is a story of Saul, who's the king of Israel, the first king of Israel, it has, has won a number of battles, but now he, the Israelite army is facing the Philistines, their arch enemy. And the Philistines are mounting their huge forces against Israel. And, and, and Saul has, has made, Samuel has said to Saul, look, in about in a week, seven days, I'm going to come. I will make the sacrifices as we always do before, the, before you go into battle. Wait for me. And Samuel and Saul waits and waits and waits. And the seven days come and Samuel still hasn't arrived. And his army is beginning to desert him. Every day, more and more men are leaving. Every day, the army is shrinking smaller and smaller and smaller. And Saul is beginning to panic. And he decides that he can't wait for Samuel any longer because if he does, he's going to have no army at all. And so he takes the sacrifices. He has them brought to him and he sacrifices them instead of Samuel. Now, when we read that, we think, and Samuel comes and says, what have you done? And this, the kingdom's going to be taken from you because of this. And we think, wow, that feels like a little bit of an overreaction, doesn't it? But here's the thing about it, is that Saul is a king, but he's not the priest. And God has made it very clear that in Israel, only the priests sacrifice. 
He may be, Saul may be the king of the army. He may have the ability to rule over them, but he's really not the highest power in Israel. The highest human power in Israel are the priests because they ultimately are the representation of God who is the highest in Israel. And God has said only the priests sacrifice. And Saul knows that. But he panics. He's afraid. And he says, look, if I hadn't have sacrificed, I would have no army left. And you can see the logic in Saul's argument. Because we have all done it in one way or another. If I don't sacrifice now so that we can have God's favor to go into battle, the army is going to desert us. The Philistines are going to defeat us. And Israel is going to be captive once again. So God, I'm protecting your people. God, I'm doing what will save your people. I'm taking matters into my own hands because otherwise your beloved people are going to end up in captivity again. And I know you don't want that. And what is he really saying? He's saying, God, the end justifies the means. And instead of waiting for the right timing of God and God's representative Samuel, Saul jumps ahead. There are moments in our lives where we think God is not acting soon enough. God is not answering our prayers in the way that we want him to, in the timing that we want him to. And what do we have a tendency to do? What are we continually tempted to do? God, I'll handle this myself. It's one of the things that I'm most fearful about and and concerned about in what I see happening in the church, particularly in America, because that's what I know the best. There is this mindset that says the end justifies the means. We will, you know, we, 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 whatever we have to do to bring people into the kingdom, we'll do, even if it means, you know not worrying too much about whether this is exactly the way God wants us to do it, it gets to the right end. I see this in the political landscape as well, all over the political landscape, where we we ignore things that we probably should be paying attention to because it gets us to the end that we think is right. And what we're really saying is, God, all that matters is the end. All that matters is, is where we end up. But God, the scriptures continually tell us that while God is greatly concerned about where we end up, he is just as concerned, perhaps more concerned about how we get there. Because if we get there, if we're following the path in the right way, we will get to the end that God wants. And the alternative is that we veer off the path. And one of the things that that one of the greatest challenges to us is waiting for God in prayer. Because we keep wanting to jump ahead. We keep wanting to move forward. There's something in us that says, like Saul, I'm the last line of defense. If we don't do something, then everything that that we've worked for, all the things we've established as part of the kingdom, is going to be ruined. We can't wait for God to act Because he's not acting, so we're going to need to do it. Now, this is not a word, this is not saying that waiting is not idleness and waiting is not laziness. 
There is a time when we do work. There are lots of times when we step out and we do what we're supposed to do and we are active. But there are also times and often times that, quite frankly, in our human logic, don't always make sense when God is saying, wait, trust me. The hard part about that is that it feels like we're being unproductive. And I'm not sure there's anything more distasteful to us as Americans than being unproductive. I mean, all of life is about productivity. You know, we talk to someone and say, hey, you want to get together? Sure. Um, When do you want to get together? And three weeks later, you figure out, well, maybe we can find a half hour slot here. We're busy people. We have a lot of distractions. And, and, and in our honest moments, it bothers us and we don't like it. Ever so often when I'm driving down to, uh, driving to Olean and take 305 down to Cuba, I, I pass all the Amish farms and something in my mind, a little something is a little bit envious of them. Just a little something. Just a little something. You know, but, but they don't have to worry about answering emails. They don't have to worry about, you know, all the kinds of distractions that we get wrapped up in. Even the good things that we do are just not a part of their lives. And there is a little bit of me that says it would be nice sometimes to just be able to pull back. We know it deep inside, but there is something in us that is driving us forward that says busyness equals worth and value. I think that's one of the reasons why God created Sabbath. To remind us that our value and our worth is not in what we do. It is in who we are. It's being children of God. It's being his creatures. Our value and worth is in him. And that Sabbath time is a time to step back and to say, God, it's rest. As Austin was talking about, that time of resting, that time of of waiting. And I think one of the things that we get from this story is God is trying to help Saul understand the most holy thing you can do in this moment is to wait for me. I know I'm not, I know Samuel isn't arriving when you want him to. I know I'm not doing what you want me to do. But can you trust me anyway? You know, we often use a, have the saying, don't just sit there, do something. Sometimes I think God is saying to us, don't just do something, sit there. And we wrestle with that. You'll notice that, that Samuel says to, to Saul, you have done a foolish thing. Now, we read that, one of the things that we, we think is, well, we think of something, somebody doing something foolish, we think, well, they made a mistake, they didn't, you know, they, they, they were unwise, but in the biblical sense, the word fool and foolish and, and it's, all of its expressions has a much deeper meaning than that. You get a glimpse of it in Psalm 14.1 and Psalm 53.1 that says, that, that says in the New Living Translation, only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. 
When you read Luke chapter 12, Paul, Jesus tells the parable, the rich man who has so much doesn't want to do with it, and he builds bigger barns so he can store it all and hoard it. And Jesus says to him, you fool. I mean, God says to him, you fool. And what he's really saying is, your mindset is, on, is fully engaged on what is temporal instead of what is eternal. And when the psalmist says, the fool says in his or her heart, there is no God, I think that when Samuel says to Saul, you're, you acted foolishly, he's saying you're acting as if there is no God. You're acting as if the God that you say you worship isn't really who he says he is. You make all these great declarations of who Yahweh is, that he is the creator, the sustainer, that he is faithful and good. You've made all these declarations, but when push comes to shove, you aren't willing to wait for him and to trust him. And what you're really saying, and I think this is one of the reasons why Samuel has this, this, why he condemns Saul so harshly, is because what he's really saying is, Saul's action is saying, you don't really believe there is This kind of God. And Saul as the king. Is sending a message to the rest of the people. This is not who God is. God is not who he says he is. And every time. We refuse to wait for God. Every time we get so wrapped up in thinking it's all on our shoulders, every time we we get wrapped up in thinking that busyness is our worth. And, and that action is all that matters, we are in essence declaring God is not who he says he is. I was reading this week that one of the differences between Yahweh and all the gods of all the other nations is that you can wait for Yahweh because he is always seeking you. And the gods of all the other nations never seek anyone. They must be sought out and they must be pled with and cajoled and tricked and manipulated into paying any attention to human beings. There is nothing in in the writings of all the other gods, all the other worship, all the other nations of their gods. Nothing about waiting for their gods. Why would you wait for a god who's not going to pay attention to you unless you make him? But Yahweh says, you can wait for me, you can trust me, because I am always seeking you. I am always after you. I am always looking for you, working in you, desiring you. And what seems like, un, seems like mistiming, what feels like that, that your prayers aren't doing anything, that's a trick of the evil one. Because they are. Because I'm not the kind of God like these other nations. I'm a God who loves you and cares for you. I think we wrestle to believe that. I wonder sometimes if that isn't why waiting and its accompanying cousin silence is so hard for us. What you see in in Saul is a growing fear as he waits. And I'm not sure it's just fear that they're going to be defeated, though I think that's a big part of it. But I also think there is this growing fear that, that maybe God isn't who he says he is. And in our silence, 
when God, it's in the silence and in the waiting that God has the best opportunity to speak to us. And sometimes we are uneasy about that. We're afraid of what God's going to say to us. We're afraid of how God may confront us. For, I don't know, eight or ten years, I have used uh, the We Fit exercise program. Uh, it's a thing on you know, on the Wii uh, Nintendo game. that It's an interactive thing that you use. And, and it has a little balance board, and you stand and do different things with it. And it, it measures your weight and it takes you to this exercise program. What, what's interesting to me is that after you, a few days, if I miss a few days doing it, when I turn it on and I click that I'm the, I'm the person using it, Usually the first thing that it says to me, and it speaks to you, you know, through the television, and it says, one of the things they'll say to you, oh, is that you, Wes? Huh, I didn't recognize you. It's been so long. I mean, I'm thinking, who programmed this thing to be so sarcastic? My goodness. You know? And, and you know, if you, if you want to, you know, do a daily uh, measuring of you, it'll weigh you. And far too often it says, huh, that's overweight. And I'm thinking, yes, I know that. I understand that. That's why I'm here. But, you know, and I'm like, I hate to turn this thing on because of how it's going to, what it's going to say to me. And I think there's something of that we fear about God. We know stuff in our lives that shouldn't be there. And we're afraid to be silent to let God speak to us because he know, we know he's going to say, you've got to do something about that. You, you need to, to deal with that. We need to address that. And we don't want to. Quite frankly, often we want to hang on to it. We want everything of God as long as we can keep the things that we want. And in the waiting and in the silence, God has an opportunity to speak to us clearly and truthfully, and that makes us nervous. But what we've missed is that when God speaks to us, anything God says to us is not like the we to be sarcastic with us. It is to lead us to something better. It's to lead us to greater things. It's to lead us to to the fulfillment of what he has created us to be. You see, this story is really leading us to the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says, we pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's That's what Samuel is trying to get Saul to understand. It's what the scripture is trying to get us to understand that waiting for God allows us to experience the fullness of God's will. And we pray that and we embrace that because we know it's good. What is, and Paul says in Romans, what is the will of God? It is good, pleasing, and perfect. And the waiting gives us an opportunity to fully and more fully experience God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. That is for us. And yes, that will mean that in the silence, God may say to us, look, this is something that needs to be dealt with. Why? Because it's killing you. Because it's harming you. It's leading you to destruction. And and we need to look at this relationship because it's not healthy for you. And you realize that these things are missing from your life. And it's leading you away from me, who is the source of life. And what we miss when we refuse to wait for God 
what we, what we miss when we remove ourselves from those moments that God has an opportunity to speak to us is to hear God's good, pleasing, and perfect will that leads us to life. Because God's created intent for every one of us, for every human being, is life, abundant life. Irenaeus, the great church father, said, the glory of God is human beings fully alive. How do we bring glory to God most? By letting him make us fully alive. And how do we get fully alive? By drawing closer to him and trusting him. And often that trusting is in the moments of waiting for him. And when everything is pulling us to say, I got to act, I've got to do, I've got to save, I've got to be the answer, we've got to do this now, or we're going to miss out. In all of those moments, God, God is saying to us, hang on, just wait. We trust that his timing is perfect. That his will is good and pleasing. That he knows what he's doing. That he's faithful and he's trustworthy. And that eventually he will move us and bring us to the place where we do what we need to do. But are we willing to wait for him and to trust him? I'm not saying that waiting prayer is the only kind of prayer. And I'm not saying that it's necessarily the, the apex of prayer. But there is something about waiting prayer that is foundational to all the other ways that we pray. There is something foundational about this kind of prayer because it is so intricately tied to trusting God. It is so foundational because out of this kind of praying, out of this kind of thinking about God and experiencing God, we discover that prayer may not be first and foremost about God doing what we want, but rather about God making us who he created us to be. And when we begin to experience what God created us to be, then all the rest of our prayers sound a little differently. They feel a little different. Because we are praying them not out of, how can I get God to do what I want? But God, help me to be who you want me to be. So that I can be your person in this world that needs you. I'd like for us to take just a few moments this morning of silence and waiting upon God. And in that moment, 
to maybe to begin it just to say, God, what do you want to say to me? God, is there some place where I am saying, I don't want to just stand here, I want to do something. And you're saying, God, you're saying to me, don't just do something, sit here. I'm going to take, it's going to seem like a long time, but we're going to take just probably about two minutes to just wait and listen as God speaks. Father, we, we know that there are times for action. And we're pretty good at that. Give us the grace to trust you enough to wait for you, to wait for your answers, to wait for your, your uh, activity, to wait for your prompting, Let the practice of waiting prayer be a means of drawing us closer and closer to you. We pray this through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing.
the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.